Letter three of Clarissa, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ben Dutton, Lampeter, Wales. Clarissa Harlowe, or the History of a Young Lady, Volume One, by Samuel Richardson. Letter three. Miss Clarissa Harlowe to Miss Howe, January the 13th and 14th. And thus, as Mr. Lovelace thought fit to take it, had he his answer from my sister. It was with very great regret, as he pretended, I doubt the man is a hypocrite, my dear, that he acquiesced in it. So much determinedness, such a noble firmness in my sister, that there was no hope of prevailing upon her to alter sentiments she had adopted on full consideration. He sighed, as Bella told us, when he took his leave of her, profoundly sighed, grasped her hand and kissed it with such an ardour, withdrew from such an air of solemn respect, she could almost find it in her heart, although he had vexed her to pity him. A good intentional preparative to love, this pity, since at the time she little thought that he would not renew his offer. He waited on my mother after he had taken leave of Bella, and reported his ill success in so respectful a manner, as well as with regard to my sister, as to the whole family, and with so much concern that he was not accepted as a relation to it, that it left upon them all, my brother being then, as I have said, in Scotland, impressions in his favour, and a belief that this matter would certainly be brought on again. But Mr. Lovelace, going up directly to town, where he stayed a whole fortnight, and meeting there with my uncle Antony, to whom he regretted his niece's cruel resolution not to change her state, it was seen that there was a total end of the affair. My sister was not wanting to herself on this occasion. She made a virtue of necessity, and the man was quite another man with her. A vain creature, too well knowing his advantages, yet those not what she had conceived them to be, cool and warm by fits and starts, an ague-like lover, a steady man, a man of virtue, a man of morals, was worth a thousand of such gay flutterers. Her sister Clary might think it worth her while, perhaps, to try and engage such a man. She had patience, she was a mistress of persuasion, and indeed to do the girl justice had something of a person. But as for her, she would not have a man whose heart she could not be sure for one moment. No, not for the world, and most sincerely glad was she that she had rejected him. But when Mr. Lovelace returned into the country, he thought fit to visit my father and mother, hoping, as he told them, that however unhappy he had been in the rejection of the wished-for alliance, he might be allowed to keep up an acquaintance and friendship with a family which he should always respect. And then, unhappily, as I may say, was I at home and present. It was immediately observed that his affection was fixed on me. My sister, as soon as he was gone, in a spirit of bravery, seemed desirous to promote his address, should it be tendered. My Aunt Harvey was there, and was pleased to say, we should make the finest couple in England, if my sister had no objection. No, indeed, with a haughty toss, was my sister's reply. 
it would be strange if she had, after the denial she had given him upon full deliberation. My mother declared that her only dislike of his alliance with either daughter was on account of his reputed faulty morals. My uncle Harlow, that his daughter Clary, as he delighted to call me from childhood, would reform him if any woman in the world could. My uncle Antony gave his approbation in high terms, but referred, as my aunt had done, to my sister. She repeated her contempt of him, and declared that, were there no other man in England, she would not have him. She was ready, on the contrary, she could assure them, to resign her pretensions under hand and seal, if Miss Clary were taken with his tinsel, and if every one else were proved of his address to the girl. My father, indeed, after a long silence, being urged by my uncle Antony to speak his mind, said that he had had a letter from his son, on his hearing of Mr. Lovelace's visit to his daughter Arabella, which he had not shown to anybody but my mother, the treaty being at an end when he received it that in this letter he expressed great dislike to an alliance with Mr. Lovelace on the score of his immoralities, that he knew, indeed, there was an old grudge between them, but that, being desirous to prevent all occasions in disunion and animosity in his family, he would suspend the declaration of his own mind till his son arrived, until he had heard his further objections, that he was the more inclined to make his son the compliment, as Mr. Lovelace's general character gave but too much ground for his son's dislike of him, adding that he had to hear, so he supposed, had every one, that he was a very extravagant man, that he had contracted debts in his travels, and indeed, he was pleased to say, he had the air of a spendthrift. These particulars I had partly from my Aunt Harvey, and partly from my sister, for I was called out as soon as the subject was entered upon. When I returned, my Uncle Antony asked me how I should like Mr. Lovelace. Everybody saw, he was pleased to say, that I had made a conquest. I immediately answered that I did not like him at all. He seemed to have too good an opinion both on his person and parts, to have any regard to his wife let him marry whom he would. My sister particularly was pleased with this answer, and confirmed it to be just, with a compliment to my judgment, for it was hers. But the very next day Lord M. came to Harlow Place, I was then absent, and his nephew's name made a proposal in form, declaring that it was the ambition of all his family to be related to ours, and he hoped his kinsman would not have such an answer on the part of the younger sister, as he had on that of the older. In short, Mr. Lovelace's visits were admitted as those of a man who had not deserved disrespect from our family, but as to his address to me, with a reservation, as above, on my father's part, that he would determine nothing without his son. My discretion, as to the rest, was confided in, for still I had the same objections as to the man, nor would I, when we were better acquainted, hear anything but general talk from him, giving him no opportunity of conversing with me in private. He bore this with a resignation little expected from his natural temper, which is generally reported to be quick and hasty, and used, it seems, from childhood to check or control. A case too common in considerable families, where there is an only son, and his mother never had any other child. But, as I have heretofore told you, 
I could perceive, notwithstanding this resignation, that he had so good an opinion of himself as not to doubt that his person and accomplishments would insensibly engage me, and could that be once done, he told my Aunt Harvey he should hope, from so steady a temper, that his hold in my affections would be durable, while my sister accounted for his patience in another manner, which would perhaps have had more force if it had come from a person less prejudiced, that the man was not fond of marrying at all, that he might perhaps have half a score mistresses, and that delay might be as convenient for his roving as for my well-acted indifference. That was her kind expression. Whatever was his motive for a patient so generally believed to be out of his usual character, and where the object of his address was supposed to be of fortune considerable enough to engage his warmest attention, he certainly escaped many mortifications by it. For while my father suspended his approbation till my brother's arrival, Mr. Lovelace received from every one of those civilities which were due to his birth, and although he heard from time to time reports to his disadvantage with regard to morals, yet could we not question him upon them without giving him greater advantages in his own opinion than the situation he was in with us would justify to prudence, since it was much more likely that his address would not be allowed of than that it would. And thus was he admitted to converse with our family almost upon his own terms. For while my friend saw nothing in his behaviour but what was extremely respectful, and observed in him no violent importunity, they seemed to have taken a great liking to his conversation. While I considered him only as a common guest when he came, and thought myself no more concerned in his visits, not at his entrance and his departure, than any other of the family. But this indifference on my side was the means of procuring him one very great advantage, since upon it was grounded the correspondence by letters which succeeded, and which, had it been to begun when the family animosity broke out, would never have been entered into on my part. The occasion was thus. My uncle Harvey has a young gentleman entrusted to his care, whom he has thought of sending abroad a year or two hence, to make the grand tour, as it is called, and finding Mr. Lovelace could give a good account of everything necessary for a young traveller to observe upon such an occasion, he desired him to write down a description of the courts and countries he had visited, and what was most worthy of curiosity in them. He consented on condition that I would direct his subjects, as he called it, and as every one has heard his manner of writing commended, and thought his narratives might be agreeable amusements in winter evenings, and that he could have no opportunity particularly to address me directly in them, since they were to be read in full assembly before they were given to the young gentleman. I made the less scruple to write, and to make observations, and put questions out for our further information. Still the less, perhaps, as I love writing, and those who do are fond, you know, of occasions to use the pen, and then, having ever one's consent, and my uncle Harvey's desire that I would write, I thought that if I had been the only scrupulous person, it would have shown a peculiarity that a vain man might construe to his advantage, and which my sister would not fail to amnivert upon. You have seen some of these letters and have been pleased with this account of persons, places, and things, and we have both agreed that he was no common observer upon what he had seen. 
My sister allowed that the man had a tolerable knack of writing and describing, and my father, who had not been abroad in his youth, said that his remarks were curious, and showed him to be a person of reading, judgment, and taste. Thus was a kind of correspondence begun between him and me, with general approbation, while every one wondered at, and was pleased with, his patient veneration of me, for so they called it. However, it was not doubted, but he would soon be more importunate, since his visits were more frequent, and he acknowledged to my aunt Harvey a passion for me, accompanied with an awe that he had never known before, to which he attributed what he called his but seeming acquiescence with my father's pleasure, and the distance I kept him at. And yet, my dear, this may be his usual manner of behaviour to our sex, for had not my sister at first all his reverence? Meantime, my father, expecting his importunity, kept in readiness the reports he had heard in his disfavour, to charge them upon him then, and so many objections to his address. And it was highly agreeable to me that he did so. It would have been strange if it were not, since the person who could reject Mr. Wyerley's address for the sake of his free opinions must have been inexcusable, had she not rejected another for his freer practices." but I should own that in the letters he sent me upon the general subject, he more than once enclosed a particular one, declaring his passionate regards for me, and complaining with fervour enough of his reserves. But of these I took not the least notice, for as I had not written to him at all, but upon a subject so general, I thought it was but right to let what he wrote upon one so particular pass off as if I had never seen it, and the rather, as I was not then at liberty, from the approbation his letters met with, to break off the correspondence, unless I had assigned the true reason for doing so. Besides, with all his respectful assiduities, it was easy to observe, if it had not been his general character, that his temper is naturally haughty and violent, and I had seen too much of that untractable spirit in my brother to like it in one who hoped still more to be nearly related to me. I had a little specimen of this temper of his upon the very occasion I have mentioned, for after he had sent me a third particular letter with the general one, he asked me the next time he came to the Harlow place if I had not received such a one from him. I told him I should never answer one so sent, and that I had waited for such an occasion as he had now given me to tell him so. I desired him, therefore, not to write again on the subject, assuring him that if he did, I would return both, and never write another line to him. You can't imagine how saucily the man looked, as if, in short, he was disappointed that he had not made a more sensible impression upon me, nor, when he recollected himself, as he did immediately, what a visible struggle it cost him to change his haughty airs for more placid ones. But I took no notice of either, for I thought it best to convince him, by the coolness and indifference with which I repulsed his forward hopes, at the same time intending to avoid the affection of pride or vanity, that he was not considerable enough in my eyes to make me take over-ready offence at what he said, or at his haughty looks. In other words, that I had not value enough for him to treat him with peculiarity either by smiles or frowns. Indeed, he had a cunning enough to give me, undesignedly, a piece of instruction which taught me this caution, for he had said in conversation once, 
that if a man could not make a woman in courtship own herself pleased with him, it was as much and oftentimes more to his purpose to make her angry with him. I must break off here, but will continue the subject the very first opportunity. Meantime, I am your most affectionate friend and servant, Clarissa Harlowe. End of letter three.